Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Now, I appreciate Pastor Allen allowing me to speak today. I have may, You may not know me because I don't always make it out here. As Pastor Allen said, I am most weeks back in the back teaching kids, which I love to do because we have some pretty amazing kids. You have amazing kids and grandkids. And uh, I love being part of that. It's okay to clap for your kids. I mean, come on, who else is going to clap for them? You got to do it. You know, I, since I don't come out that often and get to, to speak, I thought it would be fun to be controversial my, my first time out so that, you know, we could shake things up a little here. So we're going to split this room in half. And here's how we're going to do it by asking you a very controversial question. No, stop. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm, I got a much better question for you. And I want you to, to let me know which one you are. So who in here is a dog person? Okay. Very vocal crowd. All right. Now here's. See how this one goes? Who's a cat person in here? It's okay. It's okay. You know what? You love your cats, and that's what matters. All right, who's, wait, here's a third party. Who is a no animal never person? Those are usually the most, even if they're not the most number, they're definitely the most vocal. So... Okay, I have to be honest, I could probably lean a little bit more towards the no animal side of things. But I live in a household that is populated with people who every time they see that ASPCA commercial with the Sarah McLaughlin song, they are ready to adopt the entire shelter. So because of that, I have become, against my will, a dog owner and a cat owner in my life. And, uh, you know, dogs and cats are... Are, are interesting, the differences between, you know, a dog is, it's kind of good for your ego. I mean, you come home and a dog looks, is just excited to see you. It's like you've never seen them before. They're just so happy. I mean, they're, they're, they're wagging their tail. They're jumping up. I mean, I don't know if dogs smile, but it seems like they're smiling. Cats are totally different though. You walk through the door and the cat just looks at you like it's judging you. I mean, it looks at you like it, 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 it's thinking in its mind is like, wow, you should really try harder. <laughs> you probably don't make much money, do you? That's, that's kind of how cats look at you. Just totally cuts out your self-esteem. Well, you know, it's, but, you know, it's interesting because dogs have it a little tougher than cats because dogs are the ones that are, uh, we kind of expect a lot out of them. I mean, I blame Lassie for that, if you ever saw Lassie. I mean, because Lassie was pretty spectacular, rescuing kids in every episode from abandoned mines and old wells. You know, I was thinking, wow, the 50s were dangerous. I'm kind of glad I didn't grow up then. It was just apparently an abundance of abandoned mines back in those days. But you never really had a Lassie version of a cat, although I'm reconsidering my expectations because I read some real-life stories of a couple of cats who were heroes, and it shocked me. So this first one was a 15-pound clawless cat named Jack. And he found a black bear rummaging through his family's yard, and he didn't like it. So Jack runs the bear up a tree. It's actually, look at this. I don't know how he did it, 
but somehow he did. He intimidated a bear. Uh, and then there was a viral video that emerged uh, a few uh, years ago. There was a little boy. It was like security cam footage from the house. And, and, and the little boy was riding his bicycle in the, in the front driveway. And this neighbor's dog sort of, you see it on the video, just sort of sneaks around the family car, comes around the side, and then just viciously attacks this boy. It was horrible. But out of the corner of the screen, you can't even see, all of a sudden, this little boy's cat, her name was Tara, she jumps out and drop kicks this dog like she's the rock and knocks the dog all the way into the street, and the dog runs away, and she saved the little boy's life. And I was like, wow, maybe cats can protect people after all. But then I think about my cat, and I'm like, if a bear comes near me, I'm a goner. That cat is, that cat's heading the other direction. We all want to be taken care of, right? We all want someone to look after us. We, we, we love that. I mean, you know, when I think of people who take care of people, you know what I think about? I think about mamas. Is there any, any self-professed mama bears out there? Anybody that would call yourself one? Yeah. I think there's a lot. You know, mama bears are amazing because you've got these mamas who are very nice and very sweet people until somebody comes at their family and then they transform. It's like they become the Incredible Hulk. Just like their eyes. You remember that, the, the old Incredible Hulk show? The eyes would always go first. And then their biceps are ripping out of their sleeves. They're ready to slingshot people. I mean, the number of felonies that moms have threatened in the privacy of their home against other people who are coming at their family are numerous. You know, that it's, it's, it's interesting. Even my wife, who's very nice, very mild-mannered. I mean, you can even say something about her and she'll kind of let it go. But, you know, you say something about her kids and it's a different story, right? You don't mess with a mad mama. Not if you want to come away with both arms. So you want to be careful. But I had a question that came to my mind was, we, we know that about, about mamas and other people. We, we want to be, you know, taken care of. But I, I wondered, like, what would God do? If someone came at you, how would he react? Would he, would he turn a blind eye? Would he ignore it? Would he, would he defend you? Like, what does God do when people come at you? And, and i got to be honest, when I was younger, so I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor, so we were literally at church every single time the doors were opened. And I... Even though I grew up in that environment, I had this perception of God that he was angry at me, that he didn't like me very much, and that I wasn't good enough for him. So all throughout my childhood, I just kind of kept thinking of God as, as being disappointed in me. And so the thought of God taking up for me or defending me seemed pretty crazy because I wasn't even sure that he liked me very much. And, and so I spent a lot of my time trying to prove to God that I was worth liking and that I was worth defending and worth taking up for. I figured if I could be perfect enough, then maybe God would, would think I was okay enough to, to want to take care of. And so you can tell that was pretty anxious life. But I had the, the thought in my mind, like, what if that image that I carried about God, and, and maybe you've Maybe you've struggled with similar thoughts. What if that wasn't actually representative of who God is? Like, what if the opposite was true? Think about your life for just for the next 25 minutes we're together. I want you to think for a moment. How could your life be different if you no longer saw God as the one who's mad at you, who's angry, who doesn't really care? 
And you actually saw him as the God who fights for you and who defends you. How much different could your life look? And I understand that if you've carried some negative ideas about God in your life for a long time, it might be hard to let those go. So I understand. But what I would like for you to do is just hang with me for a second. As we look at a guy named Peter in his life, because I think it will show us a lot about what God really thinks. So if you go back to Peter's life, there's a lot we could talk about. But I want to focus today just on, on a really pivotal moment in Peter's life. It was the night before Jesus died on the cross. And Peter was a disciple. Now, Peter is probably the most well-known disciple. I mean, Peter is a guy that even if people don't go to church, they've heard of St. Peter, right? We, we kind of all know Peter a little bit. And, and you have to remember, as a disciple, Peter was someone who wasn't just acquainted with Jesus. He didn't just know Jesus from around town or had heard of him. I mean, as a disciple, Peter had spent considerable amount of time with Jesus, like almost every waking minute for three years with Jesus. So you can imagine they were really close. So put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. So you're standing there in this garden. This guy that you have been friends with, your leader, the the one that you've put all your trust in, is all of a sudden just being carted off in chains by a group of soldiers. What would that do to you? Turn your world upside down, right? I mean, that's what it did for Peter. Let's look for a moment at what happened when Peter reached the place where Jesus' trial was happening. Look at this. It said, when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a female servant, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then about an hour later, still another kept insisting, Surely this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And at that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's a tough story to read. I mean, Peter is one of Jesus' three closest disciples, and three times he denied knowing who Jesus was. In fact, if you read one of the gospel writers' accounts in the Bible, it says that Peter cursed as he, in an effort to distance himself from Jesus. I mean, he was becoming unglued at that moment. And, and then, worst of all, he turns and catches eyes with Jesus. Think back to being a kid, right? You ever said something so bad that you knew and wished you could take it back at that moment, but you couldn't, and then you happened to catch eyes with your parents who heard it, that's not a good feeling. That's kind of how I imagine Peter feeling at that moment. So I can understand why he went out and wept, is he had failed Jesus. And it's not like he intended to fail Jesus. In fact, if you read earlier in, the, in that account, he had actually told Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. In fact, he even was saying, I'm going to fight for you to the end. I mean, he was ready to go to the death for Jesus. He was not going to stop. He made a promise that he would not do that. But then he did. And if we're honest, we probably understand where Peter's coming from because there's been times in our lives where we've made promises to God that we wouldn't do something, and then we did. 
it's, and it's not that we didn't intend to follow God. It's not that we didn't intend to give God our best. It's just that circumstances of our lives just kind of shook us up. You know, like you get a bill you didn't expect or, or a diagnosis that comes out of nowhere. Or maybe you're, have, you're, you're in some kind of family fight that just gets out of control. All of these things, they just serve to shake us up. And it seems like those life shakeups, they come at the moment where you're most certain everything is going smooth. Have you ever uh, said to your, your spouse, you're like, we're going to get ahead this month. Right before the check engine light starts flashing. That happened to me. Yeah, it's rough. And when those shakeups happen, it can throw you for a loop. That's what happened to Peter. See, actually, Jesus warned Peter what was going to happen. If you, if you go back earlier in the story, I want to read this. This is what Jesus said to him. Simon, Simon, and that was another name that Peter went by. Listen, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. So in ancient Israel, when they would gather the wheat together, they'd put them, uh, the, the kernels in this uh, box, basically. Or, and they would, and had like holes in it, and they would shake it. And as they shook it, it would break apart the husks and the uh, kernels. And that's how they would separate it so then they could make the flour and stuff. So they, they would shake that. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to do to Peter. Shake him. He wanted to shake him hard because he believed that Peter would crack if he shook hard enough. And to be fair, that's what Satan does to us right now. See, he thinks that if he can shake us hard enough with something bad, that we'll just crack. That we'll give up. But listen to what Jesus says next, because this part gets really good for Peter and for us. It says, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It's really interesting. I mean, we've talked, we, you've probably thought about praying for yourself or praying for someone else. But have you ever thought about Jesus praying for you? kind of a revolutionary concept, right? Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. He, he knew that Peter was going to do the wrong thing. He knew that Peter was going to let him down, but he still prayed for him to have strength because Jesus believed that even though he was going to fail, that failure was not going to be final in his eyes. And you remember, we just read it just a second ago, when Peter had let that final curse fly, he turned and, and whose eyes did he meet but Jesus? You know, the writer doesn't actually tell us what Jesus looked like in that moment. Which I think is interesting, right? I mean, what does his face look like? I doubt it was expressionless. What do you think? Was he angry? Was he frustrated? See, I think what we see in Jesus' face in that story tells us a lot about how we think about God. When I was younger and I saw that story, you know what I thought about? Anger. Because I thought God was mad at me. So I assumed he must be mad at Peter. But wait a second. Does that match the description we just read? See, even though we're not told exactly what Jesus looked like, think about it. Jesus had just been praying for Peter. He had gone to bat for Peter. He had been spending time, like, really going to try to strengthen him. 
So I think instead of it being a, a situation where it was an angry face, I think Jesus' face showed compassion and love. Because that's exactly what he had been showing to Peter when he was praying for him. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. In fact, look at this verse from Romans. It says, who is to condemn? Is it Christ who died or rather who was raised, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us? I mean, the word intercede may not be a word you use often, but in that context, it was basically meaning that you were a representative. If you interceded for someone, you were their, their representative. And we still use that word today in church, but when we're talking about praying for people. So in a sense, when you are interceding for someone, you're going to battle for them. You're, you're fighting on someone else's behalf. You're taking up the cause of someone else. And it, it doesn't say he intercedes for us if we're perfect. He just says he intercedes for us, which means whether... We make a mistake or whether we're just a victim of the things that happen to us, he's still fighting for us and taking up our case. He's representing us. That makes a huge difference to know that Jesus right now in heaven is interceding for you. I, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I have no idea the kinds of things, but I know from personal experience, it's really easy for life to get shaken up very fast. And I love the fact that I know that Jesus is up there representing me. It, it reminds me of the story, those of you that are sports fans in here, that are guys, I'm specifically talking to guys in here, it's probably going to pain you that your wife, and again, I know this from personal experience, doesn't know the Kelsey brothers because of their obvious Hall of Fame careers but our wives now know the Kelsey brothers because Taylor Swift showed up to the Kansas City Chiefs game this year. My wife is watching TikTok. She's like, who are these Kelsey guys that Taylor Swift knows? It's hard. But, you know, if you don't know their um, story, it's pretty interesting. When they were in college, they played college football together at the University of Cincinnati. And while they were on the team together, Travis, is the younger brother, got into trouble. Made a mistake, he got kicked off the team, and they revoked his scholarship. It's pretty devastating. But I love what his brother did for him, Jason. His older brother didn't kick him to the curb. He actually brought him and let him move into his apartment. He fed him. He took care of him. But he did something even, even more important. Jason Kelsey became his brother's representative to the coaches on the team. He would go to him constantly, reminding them of his brother, telling them, let my brother back on. He can do this. He's going to turn it around. He's going to make different choices. He was fighting for his brother to get back into that team, and he wouldn't let it go. And they didn't make that decision right away. He had to keep going and going and going, but eventually the coaches agreed. They brought him back on the team. He played out, and then, of course, the rest is history. So that's the thing. If Jason Kelsey had just abandoned his brother, he would have been another guy. Travis Kelsey would have been another guy who was talented but just flaked out. But because Jason went to bat for him, because he fought for him, he was his representative, then now he's one of the greatest to have ever played the position he played. I mean, think about your family, your kids, your grandkids. What would you do for them? How hard would you fight for them if somebody was coming after them? If there were problems in their life that you could help, how hard would you fight for them? Pretty hard. 
because you love them. But what we forget sometimes, and it's hard for us to understand, is the love that Jesus has for us is so much greater than the love we could have for our own kids. It's a love so deep that we can hardly even comprehend what it's like, but that's the love that he has for us. And because he loves us that much, we can trust that he's going to bat for us, that he's helping us, that he wants to, to, to fight for us to be able to make it. In fact, this is how the Bible describes him. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate in that verse, in the, when it was written... That was a, a term they would use for like um, legal, uh, legal issues. Like a, so it's helpful to think of it like a, like a defense attorney. Because that's the context that word was used in was trials and stuff. So Jesus is in a sense, he's our defense attorney. See, when you're on trial, and sometimes we even call our problems trials, right? We say we're going through a trial right now. So when you're on trial, you're not standing there in the court alone. You're not the one being accused alone. You actually have a defender standing beside you who's pleading your case. He's actually saying, this person isn't guilty. Not because they didn't do anything wrong, but because of all I did right for them. Because I died for them to make them free. So they are free. He's fighting and pleading your case. But the other person, Satan, he's the one who's accusing us. See, Satan's the king of doubting. He always likes to take shots at you, to make you feel like you can doubt yourself, to, to tell you all the ways that you don't measure up. That's what Satan does. He's the accuser, but Jesus is the defender. He's the one who's saying, no, no, I'm standing up for this person. I'm standing beside this person. I mean, think about when you've gone through trials and difficulties in your life, what it meant for you to have someone, a friend, a family member, a spouse, someone who just stood with you. That means something. And that's what Jesus does for us. He's our advocate. He stands and strengthens us. But the problem we have sometimes is, and this is the problem I had, is that we get the picture of Jesus mixed up. Instead of seeing him as the defender, we see him as the accuser. That's exactly what happened in my life. You know, I was telling you before, I struggled with seeing God as someone who was mad at me. So I had this impression of God that, well, he was always out to get me. That he was um, just coming after me because of all the mistakes I made. And to be fair, when we were younger, especially those of you that are similar in age to me, we watched a lot of cartoons where when characters lied, they got struck with lightning from above. So we had a point of reference here. It just may not have been correct, but we still had a point of reference. So anyway, I'm thinking this whole time that... that that God doesn't really like me and I, I just have to earn my keep. I got to put in the effort to make God like me. Which you can tell is not a joyful Christian life. I remember as a kid, you know, I, I was in a, my dad's a pastor and we were, in a, uh, we were in a smaller church and they would have these, these times where people would give up and share a testimony, basically a personal experience. And all these people would stand up and they would talk about the joy of being a Christian and the peace of being a Christian. And I was thinking as a kid sitting back there, baloney, there's no joy in this. This is a fight. I got to work hard every day. I'm working to get God to like me. 
And I actually carried those thoughts all the way into when I went to Bible college. So I'm in my first year of Bible college and I'm sitting in an intro to theology class. Which is basically just a class that teaches you fundamental basic beliefs of being a Christian so that we know them and can teach them to other people. And I'm sitting there, you know, in class. I'm kind of sitting listening to the professor. And this professor starts talking about grace. You know, the idea that, that you don't have to earn God's love. So he's talking about that and I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? To earn God's love. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to learn anything in this class. Just might as well sit here. Because I'm sitting there listening to this and it just sounds completely foreign to me. This idea that, that God actually loves me just because. Not because of what I did, but just because he loves me. Because he's that good and that amazing. And, and it just wasn't computing in my mind that God could actually care about me that much. But then as I kept going to class, yes, I did go to class the next time. And I listened and then I read what the Bible actually said about Jesus. And I saw what, how scripture actually describes Jesus. And I saw the things that Jesus actually did. And it was like, all of a sudden, my eyes were opened. It was like, wait a second. That is true. And it was like this breath of fresh air in my life. Because and you can imagine, I felt so down all the time. And then all of a sudden, it was this re realization that, wait a second. God is actually rooting for me. Meaning he's on my side. I'm not fighting by myself. I have someone standing beside me who's a defender. And it was like all of a sudden my whole life with Christ changed in an instant when I began to see God not as someone who's accusing me and who's mad at me, but a God who loves me and defends me. In fact, this is what it says in Romans. What are, then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And the answer to that question is, it doesn't matter. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who is against you. Because that whoever is against you cannot stand against God. And they can't defeat Jesus because he's stronger and he's with you and he's defending you. See, that's the amazing thing. When you realize that God is actually the one who fights for you, who is rooting for you to succeed, it changes your life. I mean, look at Peter. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, after Jesus came, after his resurrection, he came back to life, he met Peter on a beach. And three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter said yes. And he, and he, gave, him, uh, the power of for, he gave him the power of forgiveness and he sent him on a mission. And, G, and Peter went out and did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He strengthened other people. In fact, the reason we're sitting here today is partly due to what Peter did. See, failure is not final because Jesus is fighting for us to stand. When we feel like we've been knocked down, he picks us up, dusts us off, and puts us on the right track. He helps us. There's an author uh, and speaker. He shows up on a lot of social media clips and stuff. His, his name, he's written several books. His name is Simon Sinek. And he said this. He said, he said, everybody needs one person in their life who says, I got you and I believe in you. And he said, if that happens, you'll find the courage and the energy to do things you would have never thought possible. But then he said, the person also needs to say, and if everything goes wrong, 
I'll still be here with you. See, the beauty of walking with Jesus, of following him, is that we have that person. See, Jesus is the one who's saying to you, I got you. You can do this. And if you make the wrong choice and you you get off track or bad things happen, I'm still going to be here. And that gives you the courage to go out there and live life. That gives you the courage to succeed where you see others fail because you know you've got someone in your corner who's rooting you on, who's defending you, who's fighting for you, and who's strengthening you. Satan may look like he's trying to shake you, but he can't win because Jesus is standing with you. You know, a few in the past several weeks, unfortunately, we've seen some pretty horrific um, images come out of Israel. Just stuff that was awful. And right after the initial attack, they started to tell some of the stories of heroism and things that had happened. And uh, 60 Minutes actually had this story right after the attack. It was about a, a guy, and his name was Amir. And, and he and his wife and two daughters, young girls, lived in the kibbutz there near Gaza, one of them. And they were there that morning when the attack happened and they heard rocket fire, which unfortunately in Israel is not necessarily that uncommon. But then they heard something they weren't used to hearing. They started hearing uh, gunshots. Then they started hearing people speaking Arabic. And they, they said to themselves, they said they're here. So they rushed and uh, they, they rushed into their girls' rooms. That's their safe room. It was built with extra thick concrete to withstand the mortars and other things. They rush in there. They lock it all up and they tell their girls, okay, you got to be really quiet. They said their girls were heroes because they, they stayed quiet the entire time. And all the while outside, they could hear gunfire going off. They could hear, uh, they were shooting up their own, they were shooting their house up. They could hear their neighbors screaming. It was horrible. And they had a realization. They, Amir said, we realized no one's coming. There's no army coming. There's nobody coming to rescue us. And he messaged his dad. And, and he basically told him what had happened. And then, in a sense, just said his goodbyes. And I can't imagine what he was going through. And then his dad, though, is an interesting guy. His dad, Noam, was a retired Israeli general. And without thinking, he grabbed his wife, he grabbed his pistol, and they jumped in a Jeep and headed south. When the police tried to stop them, they would just evade or blow right through the barricade. And they kept going. Along the way, Noam actually stopped. They actually saved people who were escaping. He actually got into a gunfight with Hamas soldiers and in order to rescue some wounded Israeli soldiers and took them to the hospital and then he kept moving. He kept going. When he reached the kibbutz, Noam met up with a group of special forces and together they went house to house fighting terrorists to clear that area. Hours after the initial call and message that Amir had made, they were sitting there in the, in the safe room. They had no electricity, no water, no food. Their cell phones were dead. They didn't know what was happening. And they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, they hear, open, open. And the little girl, Amir's daughter, she said, grandfather's here. 
He had fought through an army of terrorists to reach his kids and his grandkids, to defend them and fight for them. And if that retired Israeli general could do that for them, what do you think Jesus could do for you? When the world comes at you, don't think for a moment he's sitting to the side, turning a blind eye, forgetting about you. He's in heaven right now and he's fighting for you. And I realize that some of you may feel like you don't have anyone fighting for you. And the holidays are especially difficult because if you come from a family that doesn't have a strong support system, maybe you felt like no one has ever fought for you. The one thing I want you to know today, the one thing I want you to take away from this is that you have a God who fights for you. That Jesus is your defender. That Jesus stands beside you. And even if you fall down, he'll pick you up, he'll dust you off, and he'll help you. And that is why each and every day we're able to get up, and we're able to go forward, and we're able to succeed because God is on our side. Let's pray. I want to do two quick prayers. The first is if you're here and you don't know Jesus as the leader of your life, as the one who's forgiven you and saves you, if you don't know him, or maybe you've walked away from him and you want to come back, this is your opportunity to say yes to him. We won't make you walk to the front, stand up, do anything like that. It's just with everyone's eyes closed, we're just asking you simply, if you want to pray that prayer to say yes to Jesus so you can know the joy of the things I've talked about, then just simply raise your hand where you are. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask everyone to pray so we don't single anyone out. And we're just going to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe. You're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. And I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. If you could just keep your head bowed and eyes closed for just one more second. I want to say a prayer for you guys. I realize some of you may be going through some difficult times right now. And I want you to know not only do you have a God that fights for you, but you have a church that fights for you. And we're praying for you and we're believing along with what Jesus has said that you can make it through this. So if you're struggling right now with something difficult, if you just raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for each person here. I pray that they would know that you are fighting for them, that they know that you are on their side, that you are rooting for them, that you are defending them, and that you can help them stand when the world seems like it's falling apart. I pray that they would know and feel the love of this church and the support of this church as we are praying for them and standing beside them. Thank you, Lord, for helping us when things are tough. We thank you for being our defender. Amen.
Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.